This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, May 17th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I am here on today's radio show and podcast to help you make the most of your capital and to help you develop strategies that fit your goals, your risk tolerance levels, and today's market environments. So we do that by bringing topics that we feel are pertinent, as well as answering your questions and giving you our straight and unbiased answers. No hidden agenda. And the business of sound investing is always about investing through the, the windshield, not the rear view mirror. And it's about having the right mindset. And that mindset typically weeds out the emotions of fear and greed. It eliminates your as many biases as possible. Oftentimes that's political biases, but it can be uh, uh, things that just shape your, your life, right? The industry you work in, you know, if you're a doctor, you tend to focus on companies that are in the medical field because you know it well. If you work in tech, your portfolio tends to be tech focused. It's very common, right? So what is top of mind for you tends to be what you focus on. But our goal here is to broaden out your viewpoint, help you understand the opportunities that exist in every slice of the market. Every equity, stocks, bonds, preferred shares, potentially, you know, is a mutual fund right for you? Is an ETF right for you? What sectors are attractive or not? Okay. So that's our goal here is to make you a better investor, make you a more informed investor. So this podcast is driven by your participation, and that means you can call our anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Leave your message. We'll answer on a future show if you're listening uh, after hours. But if you're listening live, four to five Pacific time, you can call that same number and talk to me directly. We love those calls as well. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this question. What can we expect with home builder sentiment now out of negative territory? Yeah. It's no longer negative, it's back up to the 50 mark, which indicates neutral, right? Not positive, not negative, uh, but hasn't been not negative for a while. So we're gonna look at the data and what that means for home builder stocks and the housing market more broadly. Now time permitting, we're gonna touch on a few other topics. One is investors are nervous. Is that tend, does that tend to be a good thing? And look at that. Also, companies ha are having better pricing power. So we're going to dig into the data that comes from a lot of recent earnings reports. And then lastly, are we finally seeing these commercial real estate office buildings being sold for fire sale prices? Well, we're starting to get those deals done. And it's interesting to look at the valuations, valuation declines 
and uh, some of them over a very short period of time. One that might shock you. Okay, so we're going to look at all of these as well as we're going to play your voice bank questions. One is on return on equity versus return on assets and Liberty Energy. I also have an iTunes review question to answer as well. So we have all this planned for you on today's episode of Invest Talk and of course your live calls. So pick up the phone and, and shoot 888 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was decidedly positive day. It was in the morning, it was just a modest up day, and then it's just kind of gathered steam throughout the morning, and we had a very strong day. And value side definitely outperformed today. Small cap value is up nearly 3%. That's been kind of a lagger. Uh, and a big part of that is a lot of the small cap uh, banks, small banks, have uh, have rallied as of late, and uh, at least today anyway. And that certainly helped the market as a whole. And it looks like we're starting to maybe move into that next up phase in the markets and hit that next level of resistance, which I think it could be another you know, five to 7% higher from here. Uh, but it was a very positive day. We'll see if we get some follow through tomorrow. And next, we're going to pivot over to our voice bank. And here's a question about Verizon. Hi, Steve and Justin. First, just want to say thanks for your guys' information that you put out to the world. Appreciate it. Wanted you to take a look at Verizon Communications. I'd like to know more about what this forum for there's been several executives, uh, including the CEO, who has filed a few of these forms. So I want to know how to read into these. To me, it looks like they're buying stock, which would be a good indicator for Verizon. So I uh, look forward to your answers on the podcast. Thanks. And my name's Taylor, by the way. Let me just talk, talk broadly because I don't have the data in front of me on Verizon and those uh, purchases by management. But what I will say is, Buying kind of one-off amounts outside of you know salary or uh, options that you you have to exercise in order to capture the value. Sometimes that happens, right? They're buying because they were granted options that or warrants that they have to exercise at some point, and they do that, and that means they're uh, actively buying shares. So sometimes that's that happens. And that's always that, that is positive, right? That they feel good about what's the trajectory of the business, especially compared to what the street or what the market is pricing in for that name. So that's always good to see. But I want it to be more one-off as opposed to and and not once again based on those option expiration, as opposed to something that's planned. A lot of times it's planned or it's part of a compensation. Um, so I would have to look into what that that looks like. Now Verizon. It's certainly cheap, right? Down at these levels, uh, you know, they're they're in a more difficult fight with the uh, with with the like T-Mobiles of the world, right? They're certainly um, struggling, but it is it's cheap. Uh, I will say that. Um, so it's a good value down here, and and like you said, the the ownership is buying more shares, or the management is buying more shares, and that's always a positive. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call or anytime. Listen to and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via the live stream or on AM 1220 in the Bay Area, you can call now at 888 chart When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, 
How do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99 Chart. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve, Justin, Luke, um, Rob Plutquist from San Jose calling. I'm wondering what the difference between return on equity and return on assets is and if I'm evaluating a equity company, I'm not a REIT, which one is more appropriate for use? Um, love the show. Thanks for all the help, guys. Bye. Well, a simple answer is leverage. Uh, if you break down how to calculate return on equity, the first calculation actually calculates return on assets. Okay. There are three parts to it, and I could get into the convoluted uh, nature of each one, but there are three parts of calculating return equity, and once again, the first two actually gives you return on assets, and then you multiply that by the the, uh, leverage on its balance sheet, and then you get return on equity. So that's why I kind of like return on assets. It's a bit cleaner, and it doesn't reward companies that have excessive amounts of debt. Now, sometimes... That debt is very sustainable. It's very good. It's very. It's fine for them to have. Uh, and other times, you know, it's a more cyclical name that you don't want it to have a lot of uh, a lot of leverage. Uh, so, I that's why I like return on assets uh, a little bit more because I like companies with tend to have low debt. Um, now, certainly, you want higher on both, and. If the debt is reasonable and sustainable, you know, it's probably better to have a little bit of debt on its balance sheet uh, than not. But that certainly brings an extra level of, of risk to the, to the name. So that's really the difference there. Uh, both are, are good to look at and good to understand, but you have to understand that interplay between the two. Otherwise, you're not seeing the full picture. So if you're picking one or the other, it's return on assets, but I think both are valuable. Okay. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point looks into the story behind this question. What can we expect with home builder sentiment now out of negative territory for the first time in many months? And this is from the National Association of Home Builders. And builder confidence in the market for newly built single-family homes rose five points in May to 50, five zero. So anything above 50 is positive and below 50 is negative. So Pretty much the home building market is neutral. 
least that's what the home builders in general are thinking. Now, this is the fifth straight month of the reading increasing as well. So it's not like it's a, a one-off thing. It's been kind of building towards this neutral environment. Now, this is the first time since July of last year that the home building sentiment was not negative, right? So it's been below 50 since July. And a lot of this is be, is the fact that existing home inventory remains very low. We all know, we have talked about this many times, people are rate locked, they're not putting their homes on market. And home builders are seeing price of lumber falling pretty precipitously since March. But the amount of homes that they complete, it remains relatively modest because there's still shortages in building materials and tighter conditions for loans, right? Bridge loans to build these developments. And the interest rates are higher. So the, uh, some of the homes just don't pencil out based on what they expect to sell the homes for and, and what the cost will be. Now, the index has three components. Current sales conditions, that was up five points to 56. So that's that's positive, right? Over 50. Sales expectations in the next six months increased seven points to 57. And buyer traffic climbed two points, but that's to 33. So what you can see is traffic is still very low, but the builders still are pretty confident in, in moving inventory over the, the coming uh, months. Now, new listings of existing homes was down 22% year over year in April. So that's where that lack of inventory on the existing home market uh, is, is manifesting itself. Now, in March, 33% of listed homes for sale were new homes in some phase of construction. 33%. The share, average share between 2000 and 2019 was 12.7%. Think about that. So if you're going to buy a home, you're getting nearly three times as many listings a percentage of your listings that you're looking at are new homes. And home builders can offer more incentives. So not only are these buyers looking at new homes more often, but home builders are buying down mortgage rates, saying, hey, we can give you a four and a half, five percent rate. Whereas if you go buy an existing home, you're getting six, six and a half, seven percent. Now, the share of builders reducing home prices dropped, 20, dropped to 27% in May, and that's down from 36% in November. So it's steadily fallen. So they're not having to cut nearly as much as well. Now, regionally, on a three-month average basis, builder sentiment in the Northeast was unchanged at 45. Midwest was up two points to 39. In the South, up three points to 52. South is where it's positive, and the West moved up three points to 41. So that's kind of the breakdown regionally, but uh, interesting to follow, uh, especially as this is a housing market that is different, right? This is not 08. This is very different. That's why you don't want to use uh, that uh, the past is prologue exactly because this time it's a bit different. Now we're heading into a break. I'm ready to take your questions on Invest Talk at 888 chart Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. All right, we're going to go to Ben. He is in San Mateo. He wants to talk about cash-secured puts. What do you think about that as a general investment strategy? Uh, I've got a few colleagues at work who, smart guys, who are 
selling uh, puts against the QQQ with a reasonable downside protection, and their cash sitting there securing it is getting a pretty good interest rate in this environment. Um, they're, they're, they're talking about you know percentages in excess of 1% a month. It seems reasonable, but I wondered – it seems a little too good to be true. I wondered what your thoughts are on that as a fixed-income kind of strategy, selling cash-secured puts against an index. Thank you. Well, I like the idea of selling cash secured puts, uh, but you know you're basically selling vol, and the issue is that, as you saw last year, it can go down a lot. Um, if you're selling puts, uh, you probably want to do it pretty short term. Uh, you don't get as much, but if you go out thirty, sixty days, you know I think that's a good time frame to to be selling cash secured puts. I I do that personally regularly for my my personal account um, on names that I like to buy um, that are oversold that uh, you know I'll sell them uh, puts going out a month or two, 10, 15, 20% out of the money because your names that I, w- I want to own at those prices. So I'd rather do it on individual names as opposed to the broad index to, to, to be honest and I would probably diversify, I, I, you know, I do diversify them. Um, and you have to make sure that you truly do have the cash to secure those puts, meaning if that number of shares is put to you, you actually have the money to put up for that. Um, and I, I think that's a reasonable uh, reasonable thing, a, a layer to a portfolio. I think it's a layer to a portfolio. I don't think it's the end all be all. I don't think you're going to do amazing just doing that. Um, and there will be times where you can have big losses, right? If you have, if you're selling seven, eight percent of the money puts most months, you're probably not going to get that put to you. But you can easily have right a, 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 a COVID crisis and quickly be in the money. And now all of those premiums that you've collected for the last months and years can be wiped out in a short period of time. So that's kind of how selling puts tends to work. I like to sell them when the when positions are oversold, when the markets are oversold. And at the bare minimum, we're probably going to bounce in the near term. Me getting uh, the stock that already went down twenty or thirty percent—that's still a great, you know, a very good company. Going down another twenty, thirty percent is probably pretty low, right? Putting on, doing on names that have uh, very low debt, so there's the very low, there's low chance of bankruptcy, things like that. So you want to filter for those things, and, and that's the, what what I like to do. Um, I think once again, it, on a broad index, it can be fine. But it's one of those things where it's fine until it isn't, and you can be wiped out uh, pretty quickly. So uh, I like cash secured puts when the VIX is higher, premiums are higher, it's already oversold. That's a very good risk versus reward, just not uh, month after month. Okay. Thank now let's you keep so things much. moving. Analysis. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Ben. Now let's keep things moving and go to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from Miami. Good day, gentlemen. This is Jim down in Miami, Florida. I'm calling today about Liberty Energy, ticker symbol L-B-R-T. I see that it has a P.E. right now of approximately four. I think they're the second largest fracking company. They have a small dividend, about 1.6%, but they have no problem paying that. The price seems at a good buy price right now. Everywhere I'm looking in my research... It's saying pretty much buy or hold, but mostly buy. And once again, you gentlemen are really good at finding out the nitty-gritty about these stocks. So any information about Liberty and if you would recommend as a buy it now at this uh, entry point, that would be great. Thank you so much. 
All right, this is Liberty Energy, and this is an oil field services company that provides hydraulic fracturing services. So it helps the E&P companies actually take their, the, the oil out of the ground. Right, the E&P companies own the land, they own the rights to the land, the mineral rights and things like that. Uh, and Liberty, as well as Schlumberger, which this is, this is a, looks like it'd be a spinoff of Schlumberger. And it's, it's, it's relatively small name, still $2 billion. Uh, let's see. So that's pretty small, okay. Um, Oh, interesting. I'm just trying to get up to speed here. Yeah, it's one of the largest pressure pumpers in North America. So it's very tied to the fracking industry as opposed to a Schlumberger uh, is more diversified on different types of uh, energy uh, and oil and gas uh, wells, whereas this looks to be just fracking. So it's going to be more volatile than your average oil service company because of that. Um, so understand that. It is trading at pretty cheap levels, and I'm gonna give this one a thumbs up. Very little debt, trading at about EV to EBITDA around 2.2. Uh, you know, I, I see no problem with it. The chart looks uh, fine to me, had a nice day today, and I would give it a thumbs up. Now we're heading into a break, but I'm ready to take your calls right now at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay. Why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99 Chart. On the next Invest Talk, the story. 
The Paris-based International Energy Agency has warned that the ongoing pressure in oil prices neglects an accelerating demand outlook and looming supply tightness. Is this assessment realistic? That story tomorrow. But next, let's ho- head over to Jeffrey. He is in Alabama. He wants to talk about Equinor, EQNR. Good afternoon, Justin. Uh, longtime listener here. Appreciate the show, all the insight that you and Steve give out. Uh, no yeah, Thanks I'd like to know your opinion and analysis okay. on uh, Equinor. Okay, this is a Norwegian-based integrated oil and gas company. They have offshore wind farms, solar, oil refineries, and natural gas processing, marketing, and trading, as well as they have about 2 million barrels of oil, uh, produce about 2 million barrels of oil equivalent per day. This is 67% owned by the Norwegian government, okay? So it's a state-owned enterprise, but their business is obviously thriving, especially because their products are priced closer to the cost uh, in Europe. And the cost of energy in Europe is high because of the the war and cutting off uh, of uh, Russia. Now, earnings are expected to fall 33% this year and 5% next year, but that's still a healthy $4.41 next year. What's that? About uh, seven, eight, eight times uh, multiple going forward. That's still cheap, um, and it has pulled back. It's about thirty-four percent off its fifty-two-week high, and I, I kind of like that. There's a exposure to the European market, mainly because, unfortunately, I don't think the Ukraine war is going anywhere. I think it's going to kind of slog along. Russia is kind of committed, and until there's some sort of change of minds in that country, I don't think that there it's uh, it's just going to really be a, a slog and a battle and no fun for anybody, but it's going to probably continue to elevate uh, European oil and gas prices and reduce global supply of, of oil and gas. So this is a, a very unique way uh, to get exposure to the price of European energy. And that's why I kind of like it. Now, what I like want something that's maybe a little bit less state owned that could potentially do things that are against the shareholders' interests, right? So if it's Nor- Norway, do they want to uh, put money towards some of their, their money towards investing in offshore wind, right? Things that don't necessarily have the best return for shareholders. That's probably the biggest worry here. So far, they've been good allocators of capital to, uh, to the right parts of their business uh, and they pay a dividend, which they certainly can support. But once again, there's always that wild card that's different than a lot of oil names where they could be doing things with their capital that's benefiting Norway as a country as opposed to the shareholders. So something to think about. Thanks for the call. Now, are investors too nervous? And is that going to support stocks? I think this is a fair question to ask. I continue to see sentiment that is pretty poor. Not as poor as the fall of last year, but I don't have a lot of people that are jumping for joy to throw more money in equities. It's more of, hey, I want to reduce my risk as opposed to increase it, right? Seeing headlines about the debt ceiling, slowing economy that I think everyone can kind of feel. And people have PTSD of 08, and they think that's going to happen again. 
And then you have the turmoil in the banking system. That's obviously more PTSD about 08. And this means that even fund managers, their enthusiasm for stocks is on the decline. And Bank of America had a, a recent survey and it showed that these fund managers were cutting their stock holdings to the lowest levels relative to bonds since 2009. Institutions that pulled 33, sorry, $333 billion from stocks over the past 12 months. Individual investors have pulled out $28 billion. And a, billions have flown into cash and equivalents. So money markets are now at a record $5.3 trillion total assets in money markets as of May 10th. Now, the whole adage from Warren Buffett is always be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Does that apply today? In some ways, you could say, yeah. Now, the big question is, does all of this negative sentiment and cash on the sidelines limit the downside? In some ways, once again, you could say yes. Now, individual investors, uh, investors share uh, the view of a lot of in bearish institutions uh, based on the American Association of Individual Investors. Their survey showed 41% of individual investors expect stock prices to fall over the next six months, 41%. Now, that's down from the high in September of 61%. Remember I said in the fall, it was just capitulative bearishness, 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 excuse me. Uh, but the historical average is 31%. So while it's down from that 61% that were very bearish on stocks to 41, it's still elevated from that 31% historical average. Now, one potential catalyst, and that's, I think that's the big question, what's the catalyst that will get people to chase? And that's, that's really what happens when you see a big move in the market is people are under allocated and there's some sort of bullish catalyst that pushes people into the markets, not just individual investors, but also those institutions that are chasing returns. Now, one thing you could say is a Federal Reserve that truly capitulates and starts to signal rate cuts. And traders in the interest rate futures market are betting the Fed will cut rates as soon as this fall. And that could get people to pony back up for equities. Now, one group that hasn't stopped buying, hedge funds. They've increased their stock exposure by $30 billion since the start of the year. So they're the ones that are the most bullish. Uh, so there's definitely an ebb and flow there. And I would say right now, investors in general are modestly bearish, which makes it pretty hard for a major, major decline in equities. Modest, sure. Major, probably not. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. Gordon Edlow says, with rising interest rates, a concern, would MDC be a good long-term hold? They do have a small financial services business that was less than 3% of their business revenue in 2022. Book value to price looks good. Uh, so this is MDC. This is a home builder. And this is one of the better run home builders out there. I will say that. And we've owned this before in managed accounts. We, we currently don't. It's not at the top of our list. We have others that are, that are near the top of the, that are at the top of our list. This is 
you know, kind of top five uh, in our list, but it's not the, the top one right now. Uh, 4.8% yield. So a lot of people are probably looking at, at that. Um, the 3% financial services business, it's, it's irrelevant. A lot of the home builders have that, right? They have some sort of small business uh, to lend to their buyers or you know, to originate mortgages, to sell insurance, to sell title uh, insurance, things like that. So I wouldn't even worry about that 3% of their business. It's basically a throwaway. It's all about the homes and the margins they're build that they're getting for their homes. And as I said, with the main focus point, these home builders, while their margins have come down, they're just going back to longer term averages. Gross profit margins trailing 12 months for this company, 21%. Low 20s in the home building in- industry is about average for gross margins. Now, they were at 25% back in June of last year, but it's kind of 21. So it's just a reversion to the mean, reversion to the average. They were over-earning, and now they're reasonably earning, and they're earning a decent amount. Once again, not my favorite in the industry, but a good one. Definitely a good one uh, to be looking at. But I would do a little more research, and I'm sure you'll find ones that uh, just are performing a bit better than MDC. But it's definitely uh, near the top of the list. Now, Steve, I've been telling you for a while that we are in a new market regime, and these new cycles are a part of the investing experience, the human experience. We all go through our ups and downs, just like the markets, uh, more on a short-term basis, more in a long-term basis as well. Right? You have your good days of the week, your bad days of the week, your uh, good weeks out of the, out of the month, uh, bad weeks out of the month. Right, Good months out of the year, bad months out of the year. And you can extrapolate that out farther. So everything has its kind of short, medium, and, inter- and long-term cycles. And that happens in the markets as well. And this recent phase is the start of a longer-term cycle. And something that you have to consider. You're always going to have short-term, those shorter-term cycles. Those are always going to be there. But there's a longer-term cycle that has now started to emerge. Right? Globalization and that inevitable trend is behind us now. It's deglobalization. How strong? We shall see. But it's pretty clear that's where we're at. Right? Inflation is here. How, it, it's going to ebb and flow. It's going to come down. It's going to surge back up. And, uh, but that's very different from the 1% to 2% inflation rate that we've had for 30 years due to technology and globalization. So these cycles are important when it comes to your portfolio and your strategy because this determines the winners and the losers. Right? In a low interest rate environment, the winners were those fast-growing tech companies that were spinning the greatest stories on earth and the hopes and dreams of innovation and being the next big thing. Now we're in a new regime. So if you need help understanding if your portfolio is aligned with these, this new cycle, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, KAPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing and we invest right alongside our clients. So the sooner you connect with us, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized. And you can do that by heading over to investtalk.com. Now this is InvestTalk. We have now surpassed the 52 and a half million download mark. 
Steve and I thank you for that. Next up, I'll tackle another caller question, so hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download, 24-7, rain or shine. The InvestTalk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys, I'm curious your thoughts on Crawford, CRD slash A and CRD slash B. Most interested in B, uh, highly ranked by Zach's, highly ranked by Fidelity. They've been on an upward turn, to low cost. I can't really tell the difference, and, and I'm looking for your insight here because uh, I would like to get into B. It's done pretty well, but honestly, I'm, you know, I don't want to invest in something I don't understand, and I thought you might have some insight. So, again, it's Crawford, CRD.A and CRD.B, and I'm curious what the difference is and, and uh, why one is performing better than the other when they're the same company. Would value your thoughts. Thanks so much. This is Craig out in Seattle. Bye-bye. All right, Crawford and Company. Now, I don't know the difference between the A and B shares. The difference between two share classes uh, of, of any companies is almost always different. Uh, a lot of times it's voting rights, and that can be split, right? For every three shares of one, you get one voting right, uh, as opposed to if you owe the other, you just get your one right? Um, it, it varies widely. I don't know. I'd really have to do a deeper dive to, to tell you the difference. The relative uh, the, the relative performance on them, let me take a look here. The B shares have a 96 relative strength. The A shares have a 97 relative strength. So it looks like to me, the A shares are doing slightly better. Now, the business overall, they provide claim management to self-insured entities and insurance companies in 70 countries, and, but it's still a very small business, a market cap about $400 million, so it's certainly a small cap. Earnings are expect, are, continue to kind of grind higher, but very low growth. They had $0.93 cents per share in earnings pre-pandemic uh, 2019, so let's make $1.07 this year, $1.25 next year. Analysts are upgrading uh, those those estimates, so that's good. But I want to know why. This is a, a low-growth business. Earnings last two quarters exploded up 100% last quarter, 229% uh, year-over-year the quarter before, and a lot of that is base effects having a tough 2022 and 2021 so it's just natural recovery from those bad times. I need to do a deeper dive. Uh, if you look at the long-term profitability metrics of this name, five-year average is about 10% on return equity. Median's 12%. That's good. It's fine. But I don't really see anything that's telling me it's amazing. Return assets closer to 2 to 3%. It seems like a fine business. I need to know what is the reason for the acceleration of growth. Did they sign a bunch of new business? Did they start a new business line? What is driving this? Is this just once again uh, having a bad couple of years and a rebound from that? That that honestly is probably it. Now, what I like about this management is forty eight percent, so they're very incentivized to uh, find a growth trajectory, and it looks like they've done that. But how sustainable? 
is that would be my big question. And uh, this is one, because it's such a small name, I had to do a deeper dive, as well as understand the difference between A and B. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your call in now at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Hi, during the depths of the pandemic, I bought GE and you know, it's 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 meandered along for the past couple years now. But I'm not calling about that stock. I'm calling about the recent split, GE Healthcare, symbol G-E-H-C. It's split, I don't know, a few months back, early in the year, I guess, uh, in December. And it's up 36% since then. And to be frank, I'm wondering if, if I should buy, sell, or hold. With the stock price at roughly 77 today, you know, Oppenheimer puts a price target on it of 97, so they're thinking it's worth more. The forward PE at the time I'm calling is roughly 20, and they're expecting to earn more revenue and profit in the coming years. So I'm just wondering your take on this on this uh, stock GE Healthcare. And by the way, this is Nick from Seattle, and thank you for taking my call. Well, thanks for calling Nick, and he's looking at GEHC, GE Healthcare Tech, and he's right, this is a spinoff from GE, and as the name, as the name would insinuate, it's a globally, globally medical technology, pharmaceutical diagnostics, and digital solutions innovator. That's at least the, the title. So it's four segments, imaging, ultrasound, patient care solutions, and pharmaceutical diagnostics. Most of its revenue comes from its imaging business, and it looks like a good business. I definitely rather own this than GE and deal with GE Capital, so I, I like that. That's a positive. Uh, let me look at the revenue breakdown here. Geographically, 42% of its businesses, the U.S., 12% China, 4% Japan, 3% Germany, so it's pretty globally diversified, but obviously mainly focused here in the US. It's not trading at egregious multiples, forward-looking earnings, $4.32 expected. So it's trading high teens, multiple, forward-looking. I think that's fine. And if I, But it's growing high single digits in revenues last quarter and the quarter before that, 8% revenue growth. So I would hold it. I think it's fine. I'd rather own this than, than GE, like I said. And if you are looking for healthcare exposure, this is a, a decent name with a good profitability and solid growth. Now, I wouldn't say it's cheap, uh, but I wouldn't say it's expensive either. Thanks for the call. Now, let's touch a bit on commercial real estate. And what's interesting here is that property owners are starting to fire sale some of their properties. Blackstone sold the Griffin Towers office complex in Santa Ana, just uh, here, that's uh, Northern Orange County. Uh, it's where I live, it's near the, I think Santa Ana is where the courthouse is. So they sold it for 82 million, and that's about 36% less than the firm 
paid in 2014. So it's a pretty big drop. Principal Financial Group, they sold a New Jersey office building for $14.3 million. That's down from the $52 million price tag that they paid in 08. A tower at 350 California in San Francisco, they valued, valued in 2009 at 300 million. It's about to be sold for about 60 million, down 80% just from 2019. And up until recently, the office market has been very slow. There hasn't been a lot of transactions. Investors only purchased $10.7 billion worth of office property in the first quarter of this year. That's down 68% year over year. Now, this is common in the early stages of a down cycle in real estate in general. And that's why I think the, we are in a down cycle in residential real estate, but it's going to be very modest. There's not a lot of people that can't afford their mortgage, not a lot of distressed sellers, as opposed to in the commercial real estate market, there are distressed sellers that need that capital, that have mortgages they can't roll over, they can't refinance, so they have to sell it. Now, the volume of distressed office deals is expected to go up over the, over the coming months uh, because there's a, a lot of uh, billions of dollars worth of mortgages that need to be refinanced. Office inventory is growing and 10X, which uh, auctions off these properties, they listed 91 office properties in the first quarter. That's up 44% from the first quarter of last year. And they expect something similar in the second quarter. And on average, the sellers met the market at 31% below their initial expectations. That's well below. A year ago, they were getting 7% discounts below the seller's expectations. So huge discounts happening in the commercial real estate market. And that's probably only continue because delinquencies are on the rise as well. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.